River Valley churches have done a lot of things on your behalf and helped and supported and prayed and been involved with you as partners and it's been my privilege to be your missionary for about 23 years now. I think maybe John's the one I've known the longest here probably so far and Loretta she's not here today but anyway. Um, so I, it's an opportunity to thank you for your prayers and support. You have some information that I'm not going to go through all that today but just want you to take it and take it with you and just read a little bit about what you what you're a part of because you are a part of a greater family a greater partnership of churches called the River Valley Baptist Association we have about 36 churches now all the way from uh, how many know where Beaver Dam is up in the far northwest corner of Arizona all the way down to Blythe California we have churches in Needles California as well and all up and down the river Kingman Lake Havasu Bullhead City and all the areas in in between and um, so your church has been a part of that partnership and family of churches for a very long time. And so uh, your pastor was just talking about how, how you pray and how you give to missions, how you've been faithful in that, and you even increased that a little bit. Thank you for your uh, giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That directly affects some of the work I want to talk a little bit about today. So anyway, but I wanted to begin by, by talking a little bit about the bigger picture of missions and missionaries uh, just to kind of introduce the scripture today. Not only is your church a part of a family and a partnership of churches in River Valley, but you have a part in sponsoring and supporting and praying for uh, over 10,000 missionaries worldwide, about 10,600 missionaries in over 150 different countries. And so you hear about them, especially when you do the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and, and you, you talk about the other times you have some missionaries come and speak to you once in a while. Dr. David Johnson was here uh, who works with the Arizona Southern Baptist Convention. He's done a lot of work in Africa. I think he talked a little bit about that while he was there. And when you hear about these things, what I really want to remind you is that remember that you're a part of that. And remember that those things are possible. It doesn't matter whether it's a smaller church like Chloride or a large, huge church somewhere else. What matters is that God's people are praying. God's people have a vision for the world. And God's people believe that Christ has called them, that Jesus has called them to reach the world from where they are. And when Jesus said, Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, He was saying just that, that our field is the world. Yeah, we begin right here in Chloride, and we want to see people in Chloride come to know the Lord Jesus, but the, but the world, beginning in Chloride, is our field. And so one of the ways that we can impact that is, is by giving to missions and missionaries. Also, your church and our River Valley churches is a part of the Northern Arizona Church Planning Region, which I work uh, directly with and, and, and in a, kind of a larger area of relating to church planters in these different places. And... What I wanted to just make a, a short mention of is that we live in a day where church planting, I think, is gaining a new momentum. And you always have that old question of, well, you know, why do, why do we need to start church, new churches when we have established churches that need to be strengthened? There's an easy answer to that. We need both. And uh, you can go back 125 years. That's a long time. But you go back all those years here in Chloride, this church exists because somebody had a vision for planting a church in this place. And there are many, many places, more places where that needs to happen, where that's yet to happen. 
And so church planting is, is, is not only is it very biblical, but it's just a, a very basic part of who we are and what we do. And it doesn't mean that we don't want to do everything we can to strengthen existing churches. And, but what I wanted you to see just because I brought this here, the thing blocking the, the, the song screen today, <laughs> um, was that we are seeing opportunities to plant many different kinds of churches in many different places. And uh, we'll always have city and rural churches, like we have here in Chloride, like we have in many places. We are seeing God open some doors in planting Native American churches. And we just, our, our strategy together is, is just to, to find the doors that God is opening and walk through those doors. Not try to press them open or push them open. But find out where God's at work, where God is speaking to people, putting on their hearts the need to plant a new church, and then we go to those places where God is already at work. And so we have some new little works up on the uh, Navajo Reservation, up around the Tuba City area, a place called Gap, a place called Copper Mine, about halfway between Tuba City and Page. Uh, it might not look like, if you've ever driven through there, that many people live there, but there are people everywhere through there. And... Um, uh, there's so many neat stories I could tell you, but for, uh, for about two years, I think the, the, main, the new highway between Tuba City and Page, Arizona, was caved in. They spent millions of dollars on this new highway cutting through the cliff, and it all caved in. So they had to pave the road, the old road that went from Tuba City to Page, which goes right by a couple of the new churches that were starting. So now that that road's been paved, there are families moving back into that area, and we have an opportunity to reach a lot of Navajo families. And so, you know, that's just how God works. We have the Cowboy Church of Mojave County right here in Golden Valley. They have about 15 acres of land there. They uh, meet in a, in a big pole barn. You sit on bales of hay, and uh, some people bring their horses. And, and when I go, one of, the, one of the ladies usually has one saddled up for me to ride. And, and so they're doing, they're doing well. We have, we have probably eight or nine Cowboy Churches around the state. Um, we have a new Asian church in Flagstaff that I think is very interesting. A church that is ministering primarily to Asian PhD professors and their students. Through the, through the ministry of a pastor named Sung Cha and his wife Esther who, who just felt a call to come to Flagstaff. And uh, while they were, were working as janitors at the university, people kept coming to them and saying, when are you gonna start a church for us? And so obviously God was opening a door and they started the All Nations Church uh, made up primarily of Korean and Chinese. Uh, they call them scholars, professors, and their students. So God's doing a unique work there. We have new apartment churches in uh, Lake Havasu City, Bullhead City. Why start an apartment church? I mean, people can come to church, can't they? Well, we have places where the apartment complexes are so large that they're really a community in itself. And if we're thinking about bringing the church to the people instead of the other way around, because if we keep thinking the other way around, uh, no matter how big your church is or how great your church is, people aren't going to beat down the door to get there. So we're always looking at ways to take the church to people. So we, we do that through apartment churches. Our set-free churches are, are places, our churches where... Uh, God is just really doing a great work through Set Free. Um, you might have heard about Set Free. It's not, it's not a part of, a, of the organization there in Bullhead City, but there's a whole network of Set Free churches that started out of Yucaipa, California, and they minister primarily to people caught in addiction. They have a daily discipleship ministry, 
And uh, last year, our church in Needles baptized over 100 people, about 150 or so a year. And so they're reaching lots and lots of new people. A great place to be. Biker churches, each of our set-free churches now have started on Saturday evening another congregation called Biker Tabernacle. Many of them are already bikers. They're reaching out to the biker community. They do a lot during the upcoming river run. We have a, a several Hispanic churches down in the Blythe, California, Quartzsite area. And then even some churches, once in a while, um, a church struggles for many years and gets to the place where maybe the best thing for them to, to do, and sometimes churches have a life cycle. You and I have a life cycle. We're going to, unless the Lord comes back again soon, uh, we're going to die and we're going to get buried, right? We're going to have a funeral, and they're going to talk about all the good things we did. Sometimes churches, sometimes the best approach is to let a church die, have a funeral, celebrate its legacy, and raise up something new in its place. And that's exactly what we did in Needles uh, with the New Step Free Church that is now just overflowing with people. And so that's just a, just a real... Oh, I, I skipped, skipped one. As a matter of fact, today, right after service, I'm headed here, we have three yard churches. Thank you for reminding me of that. Three yard churches in New Arizona State Prison. You hear all the publicity about the problems and riots and whatever, but you probably don't hear that every Sunday on these yards, the one I'll be at today, has about 150, 160 men who come and worship every Sunday. Uh, daily discipleship classes. We actually do a church planter class in the uh, prison because some of them are feel called to the ministry. They go out and be involved in, in planting new churches, but they are also planting. They are the guys who do the work for us in planting yard churches behind the walls. And so uh, that, that, that's a great work. So a lot of different unique opportunities. And again, you're a part of all of those. What's that? And that's exactly where your pastor uh, works, uh, first as a chaplain, now as a, as a teacher. And um, Ralph has been a very special part of that ministry for a long time. And so I've appreciated him very much. And the guys out there have a lot of respect for him. They like him. He relates very well to them. Well, when is the last time you had your picture taken? And uh, when you had your picture taken, you might have, you might have uh, wanted it, and you might not have wanted it, depending on the mood you were in, or depending on your appearance that day, or some people love to have their picture taken, some people when they see a camera, they kind of run the other way, don't they? And uh, so there are places in Scripture, though, where God takes a picture of the church, believe it or not. In fact, there are, I don't have time to show you all of them today, but there are about 10 places in the book of Acts where in the Word of God it's as if God stops and clicks and takes a picture of the church at that moment in time. Who they were, what they were doing, how God was at work in and through them. And that picture, I believe, of the church so many times in the Word of God is not just a picture of history, but if you think about it, it's a picture of, take a part the word history for a minute, his story. It's a picture of how God is continually writing his story through churches like Chloride, like Kingman, like everywhere else. You know, your church over, over the few years, Ralph and I were talking about a little earlier, has been involved in early years in sponsoring and planting several churches who have in turn planted churches and those churches planted churches. It's interesting to, to try to figure up 
over the years, how many times you've been a, a, a mother or a grandmother or a great-grandmother to new little baby churches, there, there would be, certainly be more than 20, um, but there's, you, you, you have a history, you have a legacy of that. And so these pictures that we see in the Word of God, I believe, is God revealing to us a picture of what He wants His church to be. Even though every church is different, every church has their own personality, their own focus, their own place where they, where they are shining the light, these, are, these pictures represent, I believe, what God wants His church to be everywhere for all time. And so it is His story, Him telling His story of what He has in store for the church. So let me show you one in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. This is one of those places where the Word of God stops and takes a picture of God's people, of God's church, of how God is at work in and through them. And it simply tells us there in Acts 9, verse 31, So the church, throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, enjoyed what? Enjoyed peace. They were being what? Strengthened or built up. And they were what else? They were walking or going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of who? And as a result, they what? They multiplied or they continued to increase. The picture here is, is not only some very revealing spiritual lessons to learn for the church as a whole, but even more importantly for us to learn for our life personally. I think here's, here's the first basic truth. That is, well, I'm, I'm just going to share with you three quick ones today. One is that rebuild the church by being the church. That's the first thing. Second thing is we grow the church by growing people. And thirdly, rebuild the kingdom through reproduction. Now, it simply says in the very first part of that verse, Acts 9.31, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It doesn't even say churches. It doesn't even identify a certain church in a certain place, maybe like the seven letters of Revelation. But it simply says the church, singular, the church collective, was, was present and powerful and spreading throughout all these places, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. I think there is a picture of one of the most important things that, that we need to never forget about the church, is that we build the church by being the church in the world. Here's a picture of not just individual congregations, but here's a picture of the presence of the church in all of these places all at the same time. Now, how is that possible? especially in that day, especially in the first century. I think it was possible because God's people had the understanding that what they are really called to do was to be the church everywhere God took them, everywhere they lived, everywhere they worked. They were called to be the church in those places and to those people. You know, we talk about building the church, and when you think about it, at least... At least this is the way I, I look at it. I really don't find a, a place in God's Word where it tells you and I to build the church. It talks in Ephesians 4 about the building up of the body of Christ for the work of service through, through gifts. 
And Jesus said, you remember when Peter confessed Jesus as the living Son of God, that Jesus said what? Upon this rock, meaning the rock confession of Peter as Christ for who he really is, upon this rock, Jesus said what? I will build my church. I think we need to understand as God's people in God's church that the job of building the church is his job. Jesus said, I'll do that. Okay? Do we trust him to do that? Do we believe that he will do that? And the way that he does that is when you and I are committed and focused on being the church in chloride, being the church in wherever it is we go, being the church in the world, living out the kind of life, shining the light of the gospel in such a way that people can look at our lives and at some point say, oh, that's who God is. Where they can look at our lives and say, oh, that's why they make such a big deal about Jesus. Because they see something different. They see something happening in the life of the church and the life of God's people. And we are becoming, we are being the church wherever we are. That's why we have so many different kinds of churches. Because, you know, there might have been a day where the church could be the, maybe the center of society and and we could have a little bit of that you all come kind of strategy, but, but I'll tell you, no matter where you go, that doesn't work today. I know churches that have beautiful, you know, enormous buildings, the, some of the finest buildings you could ever think of, and people drive by that building, you know, in the, in, you know, in the multitudes of people every day. Because it's not on, when you think about it, why, why would it be on the heart of a person who doesn't know Christ to say, hey, you know, I had to go to that church. Now, God could speak to them. God could draw them. But you know, the main way he's going to draw them is because they have a contact and relationship to somebody who is being the church in the world. They know somebody where they work. They know somebody where they, where, where they play. They know somebody where they go. And, and, and God is at work through that person to be the church in that place. And so it really comes down to this. If, I, if we will build the church as God's people, if we will be the church as God's people, wherever we are, He will build His church in ways that we can't even imagine. So I think when we get the right thing in the right place, being the church, God keeps His promise of building a church in powerful ways. Secondly, we grow people by growing, we grow the church by growing people. We, you know, you've, we've all done that little thing about uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, and you do the thing about, you know, here's the people. The church really is the people. It really isn't that building. It really isn't even that name on the door. The church is all about reaching people. It's all about life change in the lives of people. The church is all about growing people and that's why the Great Commission says what? Go into all the world and what? Make disciples of all the nations. You know, it's even possible that we can spend lots and lots of time studying the Word of God. And we can study books, we can study verses, we can study doctrine, we can study all kinds of things, and we can have all this knowledge about the Word of God. But when the scripture says, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, it's really talking about something different than that. It may begin with that. We need to have a knowledge of the word of God. We need to be grounded in the word of God, the truth of God. But a disciple is 
literally and basically someone who is what? A follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, here, here's a good way, here's what helps me to look at what is true discipleship. A true disciple is someone who, is able, who knows how to live out their faith in four spheres of life. First of all, they know how to live out their faith in their relationship to God. They know how to feed themselves. You will probably never hear them say, even though the church should feed us, and that is one of the functions of God's church, but you will probably never hear them say, I don't go to that church because I don't get fed there. Because many times when you hear that, it's really coming from someone who hasn't yet learned to feed themselves. They know how to feed themselves from the Word of God. They know how to study God's Word. They know how to pray. pray. They know how to grow in their faith. They know how important it is to walk with the Lord Jesus every day, and they know how to deepen that walk. And so they know how to live out their faith in relationship to God. They know how to live out their faith in relationship to their family. They know what it means to be a godly father a godly husband. They know what it means to bring up their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They know that the home is really a great opportunity to give spiritual guidance and that they are, that they are called to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And so they know how to live out their faith in relationship to their home and their marriage and their family. Thirdly, they know how to live out their faith in relationship to their church. They know what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. They know that, that when they speak against the church, they may well be speaking against the very body and the very bride of Christ, for its nature is sacred. They do everything they can to preserve their unity as the people of God because they know, even though they may disagree, but they can disagree without being disagreeable, and there is an unmistakable unity and love among the people of God. They know how to pray for each other. They know how to partner together. They know how to work together. They know that they are called to be the most powerful, mighty force in the place that God has put them. So a true disciple knows how to live out their faith in relationship to God, to their home, to their church, and in one more area. They know how to live out their relationship they don't have to live out their faith in relationship to the world. In other words, they know what it means to be a spiritual warrior. They understand spiritual warfare. They understand how to stand against the evil one. They understand how to win over the evil and darkness that comes into the world. And they know how to pray in such a way that they are victorious in their faith and victorious in their walk with God. So... That is how we be the church in the world, is by living as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Then it says in Acts 9, after it says that the church was in all these places, it says that they enjoyed what? What does it say there? Peace. Biblical scholars believe that this, in this picture is also a reference to the church at, at, for a short time, in these places of the world, enjoyed peace. It was a short, it was a special but short-lived time where persecution was not happening, but when persecution was soon to come. And they enjoyed favor. Acts 2 tells us that they had favor of all the people. They enjoyed favor, they enjoyed peace. 
Now, does that sound a little bit familiar as a very striking picture, if you will, of the church today? The American church, folks, has enjoyed peace for a very long time. No one kept us from coming to this place today. None of us had to come in secret to this place today. We didn't have to have our service in the middle of the night so that we could sneak out here, over here in the middle of the night. But you know what? As we speak, there are Christians in many, many parts of the world that are doing exactly that who are being persecuted, who are, be, who are being put to death for their faith. There are more believers that are persecuted and put to death for their faith in Jesus more than any other time in history happening today. And so many believe, and I think when we think about it, we kind of see it coming, that the world in which we live is less tolerant of the church, more critical of faith, more, more cynical of those who claim to have a faith in the Lord Jesus. And especially if you claim to believe the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is the only way to God, then you are not looked upon in, in, in a very good way in this world in which we live, are we? And the persecution is coming. I believe we, we are still living in that window of enjoying peace, but that window is slowly closing. And we know that the times in history where the church grew the most were the times when they were persecuted the most. I guess I'm just saying for myself, and for all of us, I hope, let's be ready. Let's be ready. Let's be ready to be tested. Let's be ready to persevere. Let's be ready to stand up against persecution that may come. And let's stand up no matter what for the Lord Jesus, like many believers in many places are doing just that today. Well, then it says that they were built up. They were built up. And there is a picture, if you will, of, in fact, there's another, there's another scripture I like a lot over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where it, it kind of paints that picture a little bit more for us in kind of a special way. And it says, uh, and here, here's a paraphrased version of that, of those verses from Colossians I like to just kind of lay alongside Acts 9 here, where it says to be built up. It goes like this. Just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust Him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with Him. Let your roots grow down deep into Him. And, and, and let your life become strong in the Lord. And be overflowing with joy and gratitude for everything that He has done for you. For when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Those verses in Colossians talk about being rooted and being built up, like a tree and like a building. And being built up is exactly that. It's evidence of building on the right foundation. It's evidence of building with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of my life. It's, 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 it's a picture of a life built on the right foundation on the right Savior, our cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. It is a life that's strong, a life not built on the sand, but built on the rock, a life built on the Word of God. And the Word of God is meant to build us up. It's also a picture of a tree, a tree firmly rooted, deep, strong roots, able to stand against the storms of life. There's a picture of our lives being built up spiritually, 
And that is a picture of what is supposed to be happening in my life every day. Am I stronger today than I was when I started my walk with the Lord Jesus? Have I grown deeper? Is, is there more fruit in my life? Am I being built up in Him? So it says they enjoyed peace. It says they were being built up. And then it has a couple little words that we almost missed. It says they were going on. They were going on. That simply is a picture of their perseverance, isn't it? No matter what happened, they were continuing on. They were going on in two things. In what? The fear of the Lord and what? And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were continuing on because they enjoyed peace, because they were being built up. As a result, you see the progression? They were continuing on in the fear of the Lord and in the what? Comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, what exactly, just think about it for a moment, what exactly is the fear of the Lord? Is it that kind of uh, fear inside of me that God is a great, awesome, sovereign God who it's only by His grace that I even take my next breath and I have that kind of understanding that if there's anyone I don't want to offend or be out of fellowship with, it's the Lord God Almighty. Or is the fear of the Lord that reverence, that respect for the Lord God? I think the best answer is yes. It's all those things. You know, in a very healthy way, I ought, to be, I ought to fear God. Because God has been so gracious to me. I don't know about you, but, you know, God's done so many things in my life I don't even deserve. And I don't want to be out of favor with Him. I don't want to be against Him. And at the same time, we need to have that deep, reverent respect and fear for the Lord. And so they were going on in the fear of the Lord. It's a picture of peop the people of God living under the authority of God. Now, when you think about it and kind of maybe kind of boil down a lot of what we see in our world today, I think you can boil a lot of it down to that basic struggle of people not wanting to live under God's authority. That's where all these things come from, right? Without, and not having an understanding that God has nothing less than the very best in store for my life. That's absolutely true. People don't understand today very much that when God says, No, thou shalt not, He's really saying a great big yes, isn't He? Because God has something so much better in store for me. He's saying, Don't do this. You're going to mess it up. Don't do those things because I have something better in store for you. But when people refuse to live under the authority of God, they don't understand that. And they really desire to be their own God. Well, that's the oldest sin in the world, isn't it? All the way back to the garden. And that's, that's really the root of the problem and all the problems we see in our world today. So if we're going to be the church, wherever we go, we're going to be people, hopefully, aren't we? who are living under the authority of God, under the authority of His Word. And it says they were going on um, in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word comfort 
really relates to the very name of the Holy Spirit because he is called a paraclete, one called along the side of. He is referred to as the comforter in John chapter 14 and other places in Scripture. And so going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit is really not just the picture of a person who's feeling comforted, comforted by the Holy Spirit, but a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, a person in whose life the Comforter is leading, convicting, revealing, and, and showing the, the good news of Jesus in and through that person. It's a picture of a life truly controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So, they were being the church. They, 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 they understood that, that, that it's not about building the church, but it's about being the church. They were focused on growing people. And when we are growing people as disciples and followers of Jesus, our church will grow. It says that they enjoyed peace. They had great favor in the place where, where they were because of what God was doing in and through them. And they were going on. They were being built up in the Word of God. They were going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, what's the very last part of that verse say? They were multiplied. They, were multiplied. they continued to increase. Now let's just close by taking it from the church context, which means we're talking about all of us, right? When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the person I see in the mirror every day. If I bear the name of Jesus, if I claim to know him as my Savior and be a part of his body, that's who we're talking about. But let's just close by, by, by taking it to a kind of a personal place for us today. It says that they enjoyed peace. Sometimes I have to ask myself the question, not only do I have, not only have I experienced, but do I enjoy the peace of Jesus? Remember what Jesus said about the world, in the world you shall have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He says, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give unto you. You know, I, I want the experience not just to have the peace of God, but to enjoy the peace of God. Think about what that looks like for a moment in your life or what it should look like. Not only do I have the peace of God, but I enjoy the peace of God. I relish in it. I'm blessed in it. I, I, I celebrate it. And when I experience that peace and when I'm able to, to use that peace as, I, as things come against me, it is, it is just a, a time of rejoicing for me. I enjoy the peace of God because it is so refreshing, because it is so life-changing. As I think about personal peace, here, here's a verse that I love, again, back in Ephesians this time, where uh, Paul is talking about that the wall separating uh, the believer from Christ has been torn down and that we can now direct, come directly into God's presence. He says, because... Because he himself is our peace. Jesus was the prince of peace. And here, here's a life-changing understanding. That when Christ comes into my life, God isn't just giving me a measure of peace. But he's doing something much more than that. The one who is peace 
comes to live and reign in my life and change me from the inside out forever. So I don't just have the peace of God. I have the one who is peace living inside of me, the very person, the very power, the very presence of God in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, living inside of me. So he becomes my peace. So I guess my question is, do you enjoy the peace of God in your life? Are you being built up on the right foundation? With Jesus Christ being the cornerstone that holds your building together? Is the Word of God feeding you and building you up and making you stronger each day? Are you continuing on in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Now that's going to look different in every one of our lives because all of our journeys are unique. But I think God is calling on us today to just think about those things that His people in it, not only in a, in a, as a church, but in a personal way. Do I enjoy in my life today the peace that only Jesus Christ can give? Am I being built up in His Word and in His truth? And am I going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? And if I am, just as the church continued to increase, What's going to happen in me? I'll do what? I'll increase in my understanding, in my wisdom, in my joy, in the power of my life. Everything that God is doing in and through me will continue to increase if this picture will be a picture of my life in Jesus each day. Let's pray together. Music okay. We want to close our service in a special way, and of course we want to uh, have an opportunity just to reach out to uh, 